Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Let's take this outside with Marianne Iveson, the podcast where she speaks to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about why they connect with nature. Mercedes Nickel is a five-time national champion, has eight World Cup podiums, and represented Team Canada at four Winter Olympics in snowboard halfpipe. Mercedes currently works in the winter at Whistler Blackcomb in the Ride with an Olympian program. She is the chair of the Canada Snowboard Athletes Council with a seat on the Canada Snowboard Board and is also on the Canadian Olympic Committee Athletes Commission. In 2020, Mercedes launched Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes Nickel, Please let me introduce our very first Olympian on Let's Take This Outside. Here is Mercedes Nickel. Mercedes Nickel, welcome to Let's Take This Outside. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. You're my first Olympian, by the way. I'm like, so I'm so honored by that. First, but not last, I'm sure. I hope not. Um, Do you ever just like wake up every day and you're like, I guess I went to the Olympics four times? Like, do you ever just think about that? <laughs> just like, <laughs> No, no, I forget about it. Every Like I'm a normal human. I'm on to the next, on to the next. What's next? I want to talk about what's next too. Um, but you have your own podcast, Dropping In with Mercedes Nickel. How do you like being interviewed versus doing the interview? I, that's a good question. I've never had that asked before. Um, it's very inside baseball. It's very like inside like yeah, podcast. It's, yeah, it's yeah. super interesting. Like being interviewed, I'm just so used to. It's been happening since I was like 12. And now interviewing, I feel like I, I have so much inside like knowledge on what questions to ask because I've been asked such dumb questions. I'm sure you're going to have great questions. But like I've been asked, like when I remember when I was like 14, I'm like, this is the biggest waste of my time. Like, um, so it's it's cool to like ask meaningful questions for sure. Can I ask, okay, what's an example of a dumb question? <laughs> Oh, like every, every sportscaster asks it at the end of like a run. How are you feeling right now? It's the same question over and over. Like, oh, you just finished. Oh, you like, even in football, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? It's the same question over and over. So I think that one's pretty stupid. <laughs> is it stu- Is it stupid? Cause you're just like, I'm just like, I'm just here to perform. Like, leave me alone for like a hot second. Right. I think it's just not in depth at all. You know, like, it's not like, it's just a broad question and I'm sure I've asked it at the bottom of a half pipe to other athletes too how are you feeling like you must be so stoked or I don't know but but coming from you it's different right because you you have been there you know exactly probably how they feel right so you're trying to empathize right but I would ask like questions like oh how is the half pipe like a little bit more in depth oh like you had a little mess up there like are you okay with that like just a little bit more of an inside scoop rather than like someone that doesn't really know the sport being like meow how do you feel about that <laughs> right because they could because then they could go to curling and be like how do you feel right you can it's a blanket question for everyone <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I think I do ask your feelings about something in this, but I think it's more specific, but we'll get to it. Um, I listened to some episodes. You're, re- you're able to relate to other athletes that only other elite athletes can understand. 
So why do you why do you do the podcast? I really want to promote the podcast that you're doing first of all, but like why do you why do you do it? I mean, I do it. I wanted to share like my story as well mm-hmm. as open up the opportunity to hear about other people's stories. Like my first series is about overcoming your fears because so many athletes have to like fall down and get back up and like the elite athletes their crashes are pretty monumental if you if you come to it but also like normal people in life like I had Tara Sloan on and and mm. she's had to reinvent herself time and time again so like that's even a fear like just kind of diving deep and learning more about other people I've been retired from snowboarding since 2018 so um I wanted to learn what the heck people are doing and kind of get advice as well as give it to other people through the like art of storytelling. I want to get to your story, but like I've asked other um, podcast guests before in this vein, but you're at a totally different level. You're at this elite level. What did you learn from snowboarding and what did you learn from being an Olympic athlete that you take into everyday life now that you're retired? Like, is it the resilience that you were just speaking of? I don't know if it's resilience. That's definitely part of it, but it would be like the drive and the passion. Like if you don't have a passion behind something you're doing, then it's going to flop. And then the drive of an athlete, like I don't think there's anything like that out there in the world. I was just talking to um, a friend who was in a horrific car um, biking accident. She got hit by a truck biking and she's recovering. And we talked about our recoveries Mm -hmm. and how like, Certain people are able to recover because they want to, and they're not taking no for an answer. So I, I think it's it's more that avenue, and it does have to do with resilience. You're totally right. Um, but there's just so many different values that we we hold dear to us as like elite athletes that honestly I that I didn't know about before. Like if I didn't reflect on being an elite athlete, I wouldn't. I would have been like, I'm just me. I'm just a snowboarder. <laughs> Is there anything that like you feel now that maybe there's like way less pressure now and you're just kind of living your life? Like, is there a relief? Is there like a relief from when you were at the peak? Um, I think I look at snowboarding now. So the last Olympics in Japan, um, I was watching those and I was relieved not to be there. I was like, I don't want to be doing those tricks that they're doing now. Like, so that's definitely a relief. Like, and when I'm on my snowboard, I don't feel like I have anything really to prove anymore. Um, I, I feel very like that was the competing in half pipe was a chapter and it's closed. And that was a long chapter of my life. That was over 20 years of my life. Um, you know what, before I get into, like, I'm talking to you, like everyone knows exactly who, and I, and I think a lot of people do know who you are, but I do want to dive into your story. I want to hear more. Let's go back. Where did the love of snowboarding and playing outside start? But you, you started skiing, correct? Yeah, I grew up um, skiing. My whole family skied. I'm the the black sheep. That's the snowboarder. Um, grew up skiing. My dad was supposed to go to the Olympics that I really didn't know about, but he broke his leg. Um, so he wasn't able to go. And we moved out to Whistler when I was 12 years old. And that's kind of mid-90s when snowboarding became like the cool thing that was happening. Uh, and I had skied everywhere on Whistler and Blackcomb, which are pretty big mountains. So I was like, oh, why don't I just try this and see if this is something that I like? And all my friends in high school were doing it. So I was like, well, that's something that I can do with them. And then it, I was also a pretty competitive figure skater when I lived in Toronto. So that came out with me to Whistler. Um, but the figure skating world's so different. It's like, you're not really... 
you're friends with the people that you're figure skating against, but then it gets a little heated and then it's just a different world than snowboarding. So long story short, I chose snowboarding um, probably around 13, 14 when you kind of decide what sport you're actually going to like hone in on and just loved it so much. And there was a half pipe at the top of Blackcomb and people were riding half pipe. I was like, I want to do that. I want to be where all the people are. Um, and uh, started entering little local competitions and that went to provincial competitions. And uh, provincials led me to being invited to junior nationals and junior worlds. And then it it just snowballed. It became my life. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, it became like my whole life and like school sort of was there, but snowboarding revolved around like everything. Were you completely obsessed with it at the time? Were you, was it like, or did it feel like any kind of pressure? I didn't feel pressure really at all. I guess maybe like if I was in the start of a border cross and like at the top of a competition, for sure I'd feel the pressure. But that was like pressure I put on myself to do what I needed to do. But when I was that young, no, I didn't know any better. I was just like in it, immersed in it and just wanted to be on snow as much as possible. Was there any kind of um, like fork in the road where you're like, I just enjoy this and do what, or like, do you remember a point where you're like, oh no, no, I want to make this a competition and I want to, you're a competitive person and that's like inane in you. I wish I could say that there was this pinnacle moment that that happened, but I feel like when you're in it, you don't reflect and realize anything. Even if I'm like, I've been on the podium nationally five times, I've been on World Cup podiums, like, uh, and going to the Olympics. No, there's not like one moment where I just, I think I'm a little too humble in that way. Like maybe when, after I'd gone to four Olympics and being like, oh, not that many people go to four Olympics. Right. Like that's kind of a thing. (laughs) I wanted to talk about that Um, because going to four Olympics. So how many years is that? That's 16 years, right? Yeah. And then like the four before. So it's like 20. Okay. So usually athlete depends what sport it is but usually athletes age out what early 20s in a lot of olympic sports it depends on the sport depends on the sport yeah and and snowboarding such a new sport that who knows going to four olympics like there's not many canadians or not many people or athletes who have done that right do you know the numbers on that I don't. I, I'm sure Adam Vancouver didn't know because he's gone to four. <laughs> and he, he was he was at my fourth and he's like, Mercedes four is enough. And I was like, well, I'm, yeah, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> when did, yeah, when did you know? I was like, did you realize? You're like, ah, oh, no, I'm, this is my last one. Did you know like, going into it that it was your last one? Oh, yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. I knew the last contest before. I was sitting like in Sasfe in Switzerland with a couple other like veterans that were going to their third or fourth games. And we were sitting there and all the young kids were like, hyped to be there and we were like we're so done (laughs) we're I'm tired (laughs) yeah I'm old (laughs) but no that was my redemption like I I didn't even think I would go to three so the fact that I did four I am I'm just a stubborn human being so you are one of the best snowboarders in in the world um you are kicking ass and you're at the Sochi Olympics in 2014 and what happened Yeah. So the last, well, if anyone remembers the Sochi Olympics, the snow quality was not preferable at all. So I went to do my last, what was going to be my last practice run. And uh, I 
I thought those were going to be my last game. So I was like, I want to do all my tricks. Um, I had a backside 900, which was my hardest trick and I hadn't practiced it yet. So I went up and tried to do it, but the snow gave away on the takeoff. And when that happens, you can't get the full rotation around and initiation. Anyways, monumental crash from over two stories because a half pipe wall is 22 feet high and you're going up beyond that. Um, smashed my hip and my face, not knowing that I was concussed at that time, um, because my hip hurt the most. So I got up, went past the doctor, went up to see if I could snowboard again. It was not pretty nor easy. Um, I did end up competing. And then that night realized that, um, the black eye under my, the black, the black eye that was coming in under my eye, um, maybe a concussion because I went to the nightclub on crutches as one does as an Olympic athlete. Um, and the lights and the music made me puke right away and I hadn't had anything to drink. So I was like, okay, I think I'm concussed. So like self-diagnosed concussed. <laughs> and up to this point, had you had any kind of big accidents like that or were you pretty lucky? No, I I definitely hit my head before. So this was probably my third or fourth kind of big concussion. Um, but I didn't know how long the recovery was going to be. You never know with a concussion. Um, my, the one prior to that probably took like a three month recovery. Um, so I was like, maybe this will be like six months. I don't know. Uh, eight years later, <laughs> I'm still realizing. We were actually ch chatting about concussions even before I hit record, but, um, what were part of, like, what were some of the symptoms that just wouldn't go away for eight years? Mm. Um, well, for, for two years, I had a constant headache and was probably for at least a year sleeping f at least 15 hours because um, my body was just mentally exhausted. And eight years, um, just being able to snowboard at a high speed again. Like, even though I did four years later compete at Olympics, it for sure wasn't a hundred percent. I was not a hundred percent. And it's, it's challenging because you can get through all these hoops to like pass these concussion protocols, but still know in the back of your head that you're not a hundred percent. So yeah, I competed at the Olympics four years later, but eight years it took me to realize, oh, wow, you're like still getting better. And like right now I know I need sleep, but I would have this like fog over, over my head in the first two years, my speech was very slow. My personality was completely wiped and gone. Um, I couldn't walk properly. So like a walk that would normally take me 10 minutes took me over an hour when I started walking again. So lots of things that I look back on and then I'm proud to be where I am now. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, 4Kids Flashback. 4Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. 
and thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Let's take this outside with Marianne Iveson. You you went back to the Olympics in 2018, like you said, your fourth Olympics. Um, it's funny because I wrote in here, how did you feel? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but I, I feel like that's a very specific question, though, like going into your fourth Olympics. But we kind of already answered this, too. You said you're like you knew you're, it was your last one. Um, but were you just going to be like, I just, you know, it was my last one. I want to perform. You had you had no expectations for yourself. What like what mind space were you in? I I had expectations that I wanted to land the 900 again. So the Olympics happened in February and December. I was kind of trying to overcome that hurdle of breaking through mentally and physically of trying that trick again because it had been four years and I couldn't land it. I couldn't get it. I was like crying on the side of the half pipe trying to like overcome this barrier because it was like huge for me. And then once I got to the um, Pyeongchang games, I was like, I don't have a plan. I don't know what I'm going to do. My coach wasn't super helpful. So luckily, this godsend of the Canadian Olympic Committee um, hire like amazing people to be on the staff to help the athletes. And the sports psych that was at my first Olympics in 2006 that was working with Canada Snowboard was like the bookend to my Olympics. And she was in Pyeongchang and I grabbed her. I'm like, I need your help. And so we went and sat in the cafeteria and had a debrief and set a plan in place for what I was going to do for practice so that I could achieve the goals and feel like I hadn't left, that I'd left everything and be proud of what I'd done. And for that long story short, I did end up landing the Backside 900, my last run of practice, um, which is so crazy to me because that's the like last oh, going to be the last run of practice. 2014 pretty much took me out. Um, and then last run of practice four years later, I landed and I was like over the moon. I'd forgotten I still needed to compete and uh and then went up and competed and landed it twice. So I was going to say, were you ready to go home even after the last practice run? You're like, yeah, I'm good. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm good. <laughs> but then I, but then obviously that competitive spirit of me, I was like, okay, yeah, I gotta, I like land it. And so in my first run, um, in snowboard half pipe, it's a judge sport. And my first run, the judges didn't put me into semifinals. So I was like, okay, I gotta like do better my second run. And I did better my second run, got scored lower. I'm pretty sure if memory serves. And then I was pissed. Like I say that the Olympics are an emotional roller coaster ride. They really are. Like you're on this high. I was so excited. I just landed this trick. And then like, thanks to the judging scores, I was like pissed, upset. So like, so angry, um, confused, all the emotions from mm. this high to this lowest of lows. And I decided that I could be mad for two days. And then I had to reflect and think. Like you couldn't walk or talk or write your own name four years ago. So you should be pretty proud. And so then I was like, okay, well, you did not get a gold medal, not even close. But for me, I say it's a gold medal moment for myself. Going from where, again, walking, talking, personality, <laughs> gone, gone, uh, to landing the circuit, the backside 900, is that what it's called? Backside, backside 900, yeah. 
that's your, yeah, that's your own gold medal. That's your own like mental hurdle. Yeah. Can I ask when you see, you say the kids, when you see the kids like performing? They were literally kids. <laughs> they were like, like Chloe Ken was like 16 when I was coming back and I was 32 or something. And I was just like, I missed two years of a gap. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what just happened? I like turned to Kelly Clark, who's we're the same age. And I was like, wait, uh, what happened in two years? <laughs> what do you think when you see that? How, how extreme the, the tricks are getting and... Is it the technology? Is it the, like, what is it? Well, again, snowboarding for me started when I was 13, 12, 13, 13, really. Um, these guys are starting when they're two. They're starting on snowboards. So they have that. And why not push the boundaries of sport? Like, if they have it in them, that ability, heck yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been a while since, since it's been pushed this hard and girls are doing doubles and like they're, now they're doing triples. I just watched X Games and off the big air, they're doing triples. So like they're really getting close to the men, which is so rad to see. Um, and hopefully it changes that kind of culture of like the difference between girls and guys in snowboarding. Cause that's, um, that's that when I was growing up is definitely something. So you think that, um, Explain that a little bit. The culture? Yeah, the culture. <laughs> Can I explain the culture of snowboarding? No. <laughs> <laughs> you have 10 minutes. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I was just de- I was debriefing with like my friend who was a mentor yeah. and I was like, we should do a podcast on like the culture of snowboarding and women in it because we were on the first women, all women's snowboard team, which was kind of unheard of back in the day because it's, it's just a, it was a boy, it's a boys club. It's through and through boys club. Like if you listen to any of the podcasts that have to do with snowboarding, it's mostly led by men. And luckily they're having girls come in and talk and share their stories, but it was definitely like for sure challenging. You'd be like the one girl Mm -hmm. on the men's snowboard team, the token girl. There's, um, we've talked about this a lot on this podcast is um, making the outdoors and outdoor sport more accessible uh, for everyone. So of course in snowboarding, but you see it like in cycling, right? You see it, you see it in so many other sports, right? Um, But also seeing that women's sport, especially cycling is getting more attention now is, is unbelievable. But like, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see, especially like you've been competing for, for a very long, or you were competing for a very long time. Right. So um yeah if you if you do release it please let us know and and we'll share it it's gonna be like super vulnerable be like oh this sucked and this i don't know (laughs) i'd listen i would listen to it what does uh what does your life look like now um so i live in whistler british columbia canada i'm very very lucky this is where i grew up and my family is um it's currently snowing outside and uh i work on the mountain i do the program called ride with an olympian which is like a private lesson with myself and i'm lucky enough to partake in some of the women's camps that happen up here so it's like a full weekend with just girls group um and then i have my podcast which um i do 10 episode series usually uh, about things that are near and dear to my heart and whatever I want to talk about. How do people sign up for the Ride with an Olympian program? Like, how do you even like get access to that? Yeah, that's just on the Whistler Blackcomb website. So it's in private lessons. Yeah, it's just a private lesson, really. But I have anywhere from people that have never snowboarded before to experts. So I get to see their personal growth on a snowboard and it makes me over the moon excited. 
What's your favorite kind of person to coach? Someone who's just eager with like no experience or someone who knows it all and is like... It really doesn't matter. Like if I can give like a little tip to help them get better or take them to somewhere that they've never been before, or if I'm like literally holding their hands and yelling at them because I do end up yelling at people. Um, (laughs) I do love kids too. I have like this group of kids um, that come over from Hawaii who are like so rad. So yeah, it's it it doesn't... Everyone's super fun. Everyone's different, right? You love snow, snowboarding. Obviously, it's still part of your life every day. But what other sports do you do? What what else do you like to do? Okay, I'm like looking around my 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 house, and I'm like, okay, I have two snowboards in the corner and skis. I have a golf little putt putt setup because I'm addicted to golf. Really, I might like golf more than snowboarding. Mercedes Nickel just said. (laughs) I love it. Like, yeah. Um, Love tennis. I feel like I love all the summer sports. I'm not a good biker, though. You're a biker, aren't you? I'm not super great, but I just started cycling in the pandemic. I do like gravel and road and and I love it because I can like go to so many different places that I can't go like on foot. So totally fair. I hate jogging, but I do it just for fitness. And then I'll do like Instagram jog tours. Some people love them. Some people hate them, but it really gets me through like a three to five K so I don't get bored. (laughs) What's an Instagram jog tour? Like you just bring people with you on Instagram? I'll like do little clips and be like, oh, it's beautiful here. Oh, I'm dying. I'm actually haven't done a jog in a while. Like just, just like a couple snippets from the jog. Um, you're in Whistler. Is What are your other favorite parts of Canada? Where else do you love? Where else do you love to play? Where else do you love to snowboard? Where else do you love to visit? Oh, in Canada. I mean, the Rockies are beautiful, but um, honestly, Whistler's my, got my heart for sure. I love this community. There's just so many activities to do in lakes and the mountains. Uh, I did, when we traveled, love going to um, Quebec, Quebec City. Like, what a gorgeous old place. Um, I love a little like jaunt to Toronto just to get into a concrete jungle for a second. Um, used to have a lot of friends there, still have some old family friends there. So it's nice to visit. Where else? I, I spent so much time in the States that that's kind of like my go-to. I lived in uh, California for about nine years on and off um, and then worked in at summer camp in Oregon. So the West Coast is like my mecca. This is one of my favorite questions to ask. And we haven't really touched on nature quite yet, but everything you do is outside. So I'm looking forward to this. What role does nature play in your everyday, in like your sport and your healing? More now than I ever knew. And also thanks to the pandemic. During the pandemic, the community here offered this thing called forest bathing. Yes, I know exactly what forest bathing. I've done it actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I was like, this is stupid. Uh, like, but I had to, tr- I had to try it for, as part of my job. It was like to try w- this forest bathing. And so I was like, all right, let's, let's give this a go. This seems like the stupidest thing ever. And when I did it, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm always on such a mission that I don't actually appreciate nature. I am you know, like we're such busy humans, especially at least in the community of Whistler, we're like all A-type personalities, like go, let's got to do this, got to do this better. And to take that moment to like not have a care in the world of timing and look up at the sky, like how often do you go on a walk and look up at the sky? Like 
that isn't something I'd done. So that definitely brought me closer to nature and like reminded me to chill the F out way more often. And that's kind of something that I've brought into my life. And so I always noticed that snowboarding, but because it's like this soulful feeling of like, yeah, I'm doing this and I'm like in the trees and I love it and I'm in nature. But I, not until now, put that together that I like did that in the mountains. I do that in the mountains, um, but never have taken it down into the valley when I'm on foot. Does that make sense? Like, a, so when you're on the snowboard on the mountain, you, re, you have a very present feeling. You're very present, meditative. Yeah. But when you're like walking around Whistler and you just get, like, it's a beautiful place. Like, it is like unbelievable, right? So now, now when you're in the valley, when you're on foot or um, maybe going for a hike, you, you just notice it more? I take it in a bit more. Yeah. Cause like, yeah, what I always say about snowboarding is that I hope it doesn't lose its soulfulness for people. Because some people could pick up snowboarding and be like, yeah, I snowboard. But really, they're just like going up, doing a run, and then going in for drinks or something like that. Whereas like if you really love snowboarding, you're like going to go up and just like be one with nature and enjoy that moment and not like try not to be with the masses of people because it does get busy. But enjoy that like turn, even if it's like crappy day out. It's this like joy that a lot of like old school snowboarders and I hope the new school snowboarders get as well. One of my favorite, I call it nature feature. Um, One of my favorite nature features in the winter is when it's like freshly fallen snow and and it like deadens the sound and it like you can like almost hear your own heartbeat. It sounds so like dead in the forest. You know what I mean? Totally, totally. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be me walking out in like the next half hour. (laughs) Also, I love that you went from um, snowboarding for, like forever, and then you're like, "I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna snowboard. I'm gonna teach others how to snowboard. I'm gonna share my passion. I'm gonna share my life." And I'm assuming this is like your life plan now, right? I do, who knows? I don't. I'm open to opportunities for sure. Um, I'd love to travel to like all the resorts and check them out, uh, but who knows what's gonna happen? I, I did try the eight to five muni job and it's just not my jam well you're doing great and um it's been an absolute honor chatting with you mercedes thanks so much and listen to our podcast dropping in with mercedes nickel um what's next for the podcast uh right now i'm working on a series um of parents of elite athletes so yeah athletes that i've had on the series already um i'm getting their parents and the take on like what it's like to be a parent and like, you know, the, the lifelong question that every parent has is like, well, what did your parents do? So I'm going to get into that. Will you have your parents on? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to have them on as my first episode. And then I was like, oh, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm going to have them on as my last episode. Yes. You have to have your parents on. Okay. Looking forward to that. Thank you so much. And uh, thanks for the convo and have fun at work. Thank you. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. For more, let's take this outside. Go to let's take this outside.ca. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. 
Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at averyrich.com. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.